Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. The Globe and Mail is leaking. To me, last week I received two different leaks about the Globe and Mail from two different sources. One story got the most attention. It was the most traffic my humble website has ever received. It had to do with the election here in Ontario. You can check that one out at CanadaLandShow.com. But before that, I received another leak about the Globe and Mail that I think may be more important as a story. And uh, that's what we're going to talk about today. It has to do with the ongoing labor negotiations between the Globe and Unifor, the media union. And uh, it has to do with what management is asking for. The Globe executives want the right to make any Globe content creator, any reporter, any columnist, write branded content. That will be a part of their job if management gets their way. What is branded content? It's advertising. It's an advertisement that's disguised as an article. Okay. Let's not split hairs. There, there are all kinds of different distinctions and names that they have for this stuff. They call it branded content or they call it native content or sponsored content or advertorial. They make all these distinctions about, you know, whether the advertiser gets to see the article before it's printed or gets to approve each word in it or dictate exactly what goes in. 
But the bottom line is, it is an article in the Globe and Mail that is only there because a sponsor paid for it to be there. And if it didn't help them to sell their product or to deliver their message, they would not pay for it anymore. So branded content is already in the Globe and Mail, as it is already in every major newspaper in Canada. But what would be different if management gets their way is that it would become a part of every Globe reporter and editorialist's job to write the stuff, or at least management would have the right to ask them to. So, you know, just to think about that means that, you know, columnist Jeffrey Simpson's editor could say, you want to keep your job, you're going to have to write an article that somehow supports some ad campaign from Bank of Montreal or Enbridge or Sunkist. I am not aware of that being a condition of employment at any other major newspaper. I don't know if it's a bluff on management's part. And I don't actually know, and I don't think many readers actually know, how much of the stuff is going on already and under what conditions and how we can spot it. And I'm going to be talking about all of that stuff with Matthew Ingram, who used to work at the Globe and Mail uh, during the John Stackhouse era and before, and who is now a senior writer at GigaOM. He's one of the most interesting news watchers out there, and I'll be talking with him about all this stuff in a moment. And you'll hear us talk about some specific stuff in the Globe recently. I'm speculating as to whether or not this stuff is advertorial. I did go and ask the author of the piece in question and a couple different editors, and it's, a, I guess, maybe a predictable irony that at this particular moment when I'm getting so much information about the globe leaked to me by sources who I know who they are, but they wish to remain anonymous, I cannot get anything through official channels. So I used to be able to email or call up certain editors at the Globe and Mail just to check that I had my facts straight on something I'm saying about them. And they would at least do the courtesy of saying, yes, that's true. No, that isn't. They have stopped returning my emails since these recent revelations on CanadaLandShow.com. So know that and let's proceed. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. It doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? 
Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. I know you're out there listening, Jeffrey Simpson. Pay attention. This is how it's done. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash CanadaLand. Over 150,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, or MP3 player. And for you, the listeners of Canada Land, one book that you might enjoy is called Trust Me, I'm Lying, Confessions of a Media Manipulator by Ryan Holiday. First-hand account of a guy who, on behalf of companies, bribed and manipulated big American blogs and news sites. It's a fascinating insider's account. Trust me, I'm lying. Get it now for free at audibletrial.com slash CanadaLand. Do it. Well, and that all started with John. I don't know if I ever told you that story. Tell me the story. Yeah, he he asked me to write a column uh, saying I was sorry for being wrong about RIM. Um, right after he had a big, long conversation with Jim Belsilli about our coverage. and uh, What were you supposedly wrong about? Well, I was very skeptical about the company, skeptical about the stock. That it well, was clearly you were wrong. Right. I was early, which is like being wrong, I guess. <laughs> and so he said, you know, it was at the end of his classic, John, it was at the end of this rambling conversation about other things. And then he's like, you know, have you ever thought about writing about, you know, saying you that you were wrong about REM? And I was like, well, A, I don't think I am wrong. Yeah. And B, why would I do that? Like, we're wrong about stuff all the time. But we never... We never write columns saying that we were wrong. Why would we do that? Like, so A, I don't think I'm wrong, and B, why would you ask me to do that? Yeah, I mean, the job isn't necessarily to be right, right. and then to be accountable for. Right. I'm sorry. So it, I have it's, an it's opinion. To get people talking, to I have, have an opinion. opinion. Yeah. And my opinion's backed up with facts. Yeah. So you know, we'll see how it plays out. As it turns out, I was right. It just took longer than I expected. Yeah. And so he, so he's like, well, you know, you should think about it. And so then I emailed him, and I'm like, I can't believe you would ask me to say I was wrong and basically apologize for being critical of RIM right after you had this big, long conversation with Jim Balsilli, which he had not told me, but I found out about. And I said, it's going to look like we're caving into this thin-skinned billionaire. And he said, I can't believe you would accuse me of caving into Jim Balsilli. And I said, I'm not accusing you of caving in. I'm saying it's going to look like you caved in. Because Jim is going to see my piece, and he's going to call up all his friends. He's going to say, all you have to do is call the editor, and then some guy will write a column about how he was wrong and how you're great. And that was it. That was the last time I wrote about RIM and the last time I wrote about – the last time I wrote for ROB, I think, other than – the blog, and then I started writing about the web. It's weird, uh, the rim coverage, and not just to the Globe. It was too soft. It was soft. It was from some fantasy land. Mm, yeah. It was, I mean, the Globe it, was critical. selling them like hotcakes when the last yeah. last one came out. I know, and then, I know. And then over the post, Terrence Corcoran was like, win or lose, they're playing the I game know, of capitalism in high spirits. And it's like, you're because watching everybody a billion-dollar company yeah. implode. Everybody wants the local. The, and plus, you got to remember, there was nobody left, right? Nortel, gone. Yeah. Corel, gone. Like, no big Canadian tech company. But this that's the, the story. Last, I know. I know. Yeah. Anyway, so that was the end of my association with report on business. Uh-huh. And, um, and John Stackhouse. And John Stackhouse. Um, 
There was some kind of chatter about that where somebody was uh, juxtaposing coverage of, of rim sales, of BlackBerry sales in Canada and then the rest of the world. And it was like, <laughs> we're in this weird Potemkin village where everyone's like, everything's yeah. going to be okay. Yeah. And everyone else is like, this thing's a lemon. It's screwed, yeah. Yeah. So speaking of Stackhouse, I mean, we're here to talk about the, the branded content at mm-hmm. Glow, but, you know, it's not new. And, and there was even that memo that Stackhouse sent out yeah. a couple of years ago inviting people to, to join this new – I mean, people don't realize this, but – and it's not just the Globe. They have a unit of yeah. people, of mm-hmm. journalists, yeah. who are there to write advertisements that yeah. look like articles. Yeah. In fact, um, it's all in the execution, you know? Yeah. It's all in how you do it. Stackhouse invited, like, we're, we're, we want six journalists to move into this custom content unit. Okay. You know, lots of people are leaving journalism to go do that anyway. That's right? right. So, I mean, there are huge companies being created to just do that. And so, I guess if you're going to, if some people are going to leave and do it anyway, why not have them stay in-house and do it? Yeah. Know? I mean, that's sort of a whole other topic is, you know, you know, this whole idea of like, well, our newspaper's selling out and writing ad copy. They'd be lucky to do it when you've got I, – I hear that like Loblaws has a media wing and these companies are just saying, why are we even paying papers to make this stuff? We're right. just going to hire videographers and journalists right. to make Loblaws content. And, you know, it's been coming for a while. I mean, you look at companies like Red Bull. Red Bull is a media company, right? Red Bull creates its own media. It creates its own media opportunities. It like the Baumgartner fall from space thing like that. It is a media company. It's creating video. It's creating audio. It's creating content. It's what does it need a newspaper for? <laughs> right. For sure. And I, I don't know, we, we shouldn't stray too far, but, but I will engage with this for a second. I, that's where the momentum is. And, and I know a ton of people leaving journalism to do that, to do that. And as the rates of what advertisers are willing to pay for ad space on the internet in papers is just becoming pathetic. They're willing to pay a crazy premium for sure. that stuff. Not every company can do that. No. And and when a company does that, like Old Spice, and it's a big social media hit, can you do that consistently? Can you have like no. Old Spice content no. every month that's going to get people's interest? I think it's a little bit overhyped itself. Yeah, no, definitely. And plus there's the whatever the new thing is is inevitably going to suffer from the same problems as the old thing, which is oversupply, you know, under demand. So the same thing that happened to banners, the same thing that happened to, you know, Google AdWords is going to happen to native advertising and sponsored content because there's just going to be so much. Yeah. So then it's it's the old, you know, quality theoretically will will out, like quality will. So where that quality comes from, though, is another question. Is it going to come from existing media entities, or is it going to come from companies like Red Bull that figure it out and build their own media entity? Is it just a question of who's got the quality, or is it about news? I mean, it's, it's people wake up, what you can count on is people wake up every day and they want to know what's going on in the world, right? Right, but what what's going on? I mean, we just talked about the Taiwanese videos. They're a media company, right? It's dumb, and it's just funny, but you know what? They get a shit ton of views. And so is that... Like that's media. Sure. Right? It's not it's not the front page of the newspaper, but lots of people are getting their news, quote unquote, their information through things like that. Well, they're getting it from social and, and social is sort of this totality of, you know, the interest to know what's going on in the world right. encompasses cat videos and Taiwanese animation. Well, and, and it's and, even more, it's more, so BuzzFeed got a lot of crap for their, you know, understanding the Egyptian crisis via animated gifts from Jurassic Park. Which a lot of people said was the sort of nadir of of the worst possible kind of because here's a serious issue, 
and they're making fun of it basically. They're not making fun of it, but they're 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 inf- infantilizing it by using these animated gifs from Jurassic Park. But you know what? I bet lots of people saw that thing and they probably learned something. It's brilliant. Yeah. It's brilliant. And let's so. and let's not have any illusions. It has always been the case that the entertainment section and the comics page and the wheels section and the food section got right. – Exactly. The exactly. amount of people who are actually interested in right. our news was always right. a minority. So all that stuff wrapped around the news mm-hmm. is what paid for the news and is what brought in the audience to some extent for the news. So now the problem is you've got that – all of the stuff that people – were actually interested in or came for or really wanted the crossword, the horoscope, you know, the the gardening column, the yeah. whatever. All that stuff is being hived off and other people are doing those things. So now if you're a newspaper or a traditional news entity, you're left with the part that nobody wants to pay for. You're left with the serious stuff that people say they're interested in but never click on and don't want to go to and advertisers aren't interested in. Well, to bring this back to the globe, if all you've got left to sell is your serious credibility, uh, and now we have, you know, uh, we're recording. By the way, I'm just of course. Oh yeah, okay. yeah. So if, if that's what you've got to sell, I guess that's what you're going to sell. According to the union, they're trying to monetize the integrity and reputation of Globe right. journalists, right. and 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 what management is asking for is, we've always been doing this. Yeah. We've been making articles that are paid for by advertisers and passing them off as editorial copy, but we had a little hermetically sealed unit of people who agreed to sell their souls and do that, and now we're going to ask you, content creator at the Globe, to make this branded content. Right, and newspapers and media companies have been doing that forever, right? Advertorial is not new. It, we just call it sponsored content now or, or native advertising. It's it's always been in the interest of advertisers to make their stuff look as much as possible like the stuff that people go to the newspaper for. So they want it to look the same. They want the typeface to be the same. They want it, the sort of surroundings to be the same. They want the word advertorial to be as small as possible. Or they, not there. Right. So that's always been a back and forth between yeah. advertisers and media companies. The problem is that the pressure is more intense now. Because you have to do this stuff. Your your traditional advertising is going into the, you know, sewer. Like you have nothing. It's everything is going south. Digital yeah. is not making up. Even if you are doing lots of stuff online, you're making one-tenth or one-one-hundredth what you used to make for print advertising. So you have to do this stuff. In you, fact, the Globe says that this is, um, well, Stackhouse a couple of years ago said that it was showing like everything else is dying and this is showing 20% growth. Somebody else told me from within the globe that this is the only thing in the globe that's actually showing revenue growth. It could very well be because that's what advertisers want. And so if you have to do it, then the only question is how you do it. And I mean, your point about credibility is a good one. That is the thing supposedly that you are selling, right? That's why advertisers want to be associated with you in the first place. Ironically, the more you try and cater to the desires of advertisers, the less valuable you become yeah. because your credibility starts to deteriorate. And then that's the thing you're selling. So that to me, that trust relationship that you have with readers, not advertisers, is the thing that you're monetizing. How long so can you sell that for, though? Well, you have to be very, very careful how you do it. I mean, I think it's it's a little like you know, movie stars or celebrities who we respect for whatever reason, or maybe we're just interested in them. You know, they sell their kind of brand. If they start shilling for anyone and doing all these 
you know, incredibly sort of debasing things to kind of to, to make money, eventually you lose you lose interest in them and their brand deteriorates. I mean, if you yeah. see an anchor or or some, you know, Anderson Cooper or something like that, I'm sure has to be very careful if he does any kind of sponsorship or any kind of showing up in an event or something like that because people will lose faith to some extent, will lose trust in Anderson if he starts, you know, doing like Gatorade ads or I don't know. That's why whenever celebrities want to do that stuff, they go to Japan or something or China and they do it there. Sure. He would he would lose a lot of credibility if he did a Gatorade ad. Let's say he did the Gatorade ad on CNN News. Right. And let's say right. he did it and didn't tell you it was an ad. Well, and so that's that's where we're at. We're, we're, it's in print. It was a lot easier to tell kind of what was the regular paper and what was advertorial. Because you would turn a page and there would be a section and it would be kind of obvious. Well, but, how do they make it obvious? Because it's like, they've been playing this game for a long time. Sure. The advertiser wants it to look like the rest of the newspaper. Right. The paper has to protect its credibility. So they would kind of um, special section, it right. would be called, or it would be in a slightly different font. Right. But it would usually say something advertorial right. somewhere. You know, if I was the Globe, I would be looking at what other people are doing. And even the the sites, the sort of digital native companies that are supposed to be the worst thing that, that ever happened to media, like BuzzFeed. BuzzFeed has a totally separate unit that does that. It's not yeah. part of the editorial department. It's like the company that you would expect would blur those lines all to heck is not interested in doing that. In fact, Jonah Peretti has said specifically that they do not want they, – they want – their editorial staff to do whatever they need to do. Yeah. And they want the people who are writing the sponsored content to do whatever they need to do. And they don't want those things to mix. And it's an honest deal with BuzzFeed. It's like, here are the top 20 skateboarding wipeouts presented sponsored by Doritos. By, right, right. And then it's, here's uh, like a very simplified, funny way to understand a serious news event, right. which is actually what we're supposed to be doing is give, giving people ways of comprehending and access points for complicated issues. And I think the that advertisers are less interested in being associated with anyhow. In a lot of ways, BuzzFeed has it easier to some extent because a lot of what they do is just entertainment. Yeah, we a don't lot expect of it, is, it from them. They don't, right, they don't exactly. have that kind of prestige to squander. Exactly. They're not a 178-year-old yeah. media entity or whatever. They don't have this sort of gravitas. So they can, to some extent, they can do whatever they want and no one will care. They will see some sponsored content. Maybe it's interesting. Maybe it's not. It it sort of lives or dies on whether it's interesting. Yeah. Is it, is it do you want to read it? Is it funny? Is it, you know, do you want to share it? That's their benchmark. So they're, they're, they've only just recently kind of started moving into more serious news. And so maybe that will accelerate the issue for them. But for the Globe, you've got this reputation as a serious entity as soon as you start to water that down, even a little bit, then you're on a slippery slope. Then people s stop maybe seeing you the same way. Maybe they stop kind of believing the yeah. things they're reading as much. And then your credibility is like once it starts to dissipate, you can't get it back. Yeah, it's you can't you can't change your mind and say, okay, wait, wait a second, we forget about that stuff we did. We're ch we're going to go back to the, what we were before because by the, by then people will be gone. They will just have stopped. Paying attention. I want to talk about that sustainability question in a minute. But first, let's, you know, we're talking about how to spot the stuff. BuzzFeed, it's clear. The sponsor is very clearly listed. And it's made by different departments within BuzzFeed. Right. Let's look at the Globe and Mail. Now, I, I've done something that goes against everything I believe in. I paid for news today. I, uh, I bought a copy of the Globe and Mail. And I'm flipping through. 
and uh, you know, whatever. I expect this stuff in travel or, or wheels, right? But I'm, I'm here. I am in report on business. Okay. Okay. And uh, okay, Tangerine Bank faces battle over name. Well, that's a battle. Tangerine didn't pay for that. Um, you know, uh, Twitter hacking. You know, problems at Lululemon. This all sounds like news. I get to page nine, and there's a section here. It's not called advertorial. It's it's under communication, and uh, the section has a, a heading agenda 2020. The headline is is social media a passing fad. So immediately I'm suspicious because that's a terrible headline. <laughs> it's a ridiculous headline for an yeah. article. In 2014, to ask a social media passing fad is silly. And I'm like, well, why is this in the paper? What editor said that's a great headline? And uh, half of the page, actually a little bit more than half of the page, is an ad for PricewaterhouseCooper. And, you know, I dig in. There's a sidebar here pointing me to the website about uh, the series, Agenda 2020. And the series is all about what business leaders should be doing now to prepare their organizations to be healthy, efficient, and growing by 2020 and pointing me to a website. I go to the website for this special section, Agenda 2020, which has very low reader interest for, for me. Like, it's not interesting editorial. Right. And I again see the PricewaterhouseCooper ad as a skyscraper and as a banner ad on that web page. Right. My source within the Globe and Mail tells me that that's called a roadblock. And this is how you know if this is sponsored content, branded content, advertorial, is they've branded the entire series, right. the entire feature. This is an article that wouldn't be in the newspaper. It only exists because, assumedly, PricewaterhouseCooper right. bought you know, the editorial itself. Right. And there's no indication on this article right. that this has been paid for. And I'm, yeah. I'm, 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 I'm going on what I know. I don't know that. I'm, I'm assuming, based on this information, that this is a paid-for article. Let's – be honest, not everyone is obsessed with media as you and I. Not everyone is going to A, notice, B, get that far in the section, or C, do the, the legwork. Um, and maybe some percentage of those people might not even care. Maybe they'll read it, c click on the website. Maybe they are actually interested in, I don't know, for whatever reason. Maybe they're thinking this is something I could use at my company or I could talk to someone about right. it. But the problem is the, the percentage of people who do notice right, who have the response you did, confusion, yeah. um, suspicion, maybe a feeling of sort of being hoodwinked in a way, that's bad. So you're basically, by doing that, by not having a label, by not making it obvious that it's sponsored or calling it advertorial, you're taking a risk. And the risk is that the percentage of people who feel taken advantage of or hoodwinked or, or that you pulled a fast one is going to be larger than the percentage who A, don't notice, or B, don't care. Yeah. So, you know, obviously someone decided it's worth taking that risk. It's worth trying to see if we can get some juice out of it. Yeah. And no one will notice or not enough people will notice. You're basically rolling the dice every time you do that. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes it's probably going to work and no one's going to notice. It'll be great. You'll cash the checks and it's fantastic. Then you're going to think, oh, that's great. Now we can do that whenever we want. We don't have to say it. And the next time more people will notice or you do it more often and it starts to become more obvious. Then you're on that slippery slope. And I think you won't know when it's a problem until it's too late. You yeah. literally will not know until it's too late. You know, I, and, and why it's so seductive, I'm also told that 
whereas that online advertising would otherwise get them like pennies. Well, even I mean, it's good compared to what other people get online, uh, like an eight dollar CPM, eight dollars per thousand readers. But if you do it this way as sponsored content, I was told that they, they could be as much as fifty dollars. Yeah, I mean, because that's what advertisers want. Yeah. They want, and the pressure, I'm sure, is intense to not put a label on it. To, I'm, I'm sure that thing went back and forth and back and forth, and someone probably said, you know, we'll put it at the bottom, or we'll make it almost white so no one notices, right. or we'll we'll make it in a typeface that's barely legible. Or and and I'm sure whoever was involved on the advertiser side said, you know, we'd rather you didn't. We want you to just put it there, and. Make it like content because the power, like the power of native advertising, yeah, is that it's just content, right? So, native advertising theoretically is supposed to be as good as the content it appears next to or surrounded by. That's the ideal, right? So, so a BuzzFeed post, it's either interesting or it's not, it's either funny or it's not. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter whether it's sponsored, it doesn't matter to the reader, but. If you have that, a piece like that in a section surrounded by other stuff that is supposed to be news and is supposed to be sort of driven by, you know, principles of some kind, then, you know, it's a pretty high bar. Your content has to be – so you noticed crappy headline, yeah. kind, of, kind of lame article. Yeah. So probably just something someone slapped together because they need it to be part of this ad package. So if you're going to do it – it seems to me you have to do two things. You have to be as transparent as possible because that trust is what matters, not just to you, but to the advertisers. They might not admit it, but that is what they're buying. Yeah. And you have to be really good at it. Like yeah. It has to be really good. It has good. to be good content. Right? And, and you if know, it's just the same crap you would have put on a, in an ad, then what, that's not native advertising. Yeah. Right? And the expectation is different because I'm not shocked and appalled if I find out that the BuzzFeed list of the 50 most hilarious kid fails is sponsored by Gatorade. But my expectation of, uh, from a news article in the Globe and Mail, my, my reaction to finding out that that only exists because an advertiser right. paid for it is very different. Right. You're talking about transparency to the reader. What about transparency to the journalist? This article was written by Paul Atfield. I'm going to find out from him what he knew. Did Paul Atfield know that the article he wrote was sponsored content, if indeed it was sponsored content? I hope so. I hope so. I don't know. Do I mean, you, that, that memo or whatever it was, the, the union thing, you know, that described how the Globe was going to approach three different kinds, advertorial, yeah. sponsored content, and native advertising, or whatever their words were. It sounded like it was basically going to be the first one, you have to buy into it, and it's going to be obvious. The second one, you still have to buy in it, into it, but it's going to be less obvious. And then the third one was kind of a gray area where it wasn't clear whether you would know or even be able to say no if it was going to be sponsored. Then you're into kind of a minefield where some editor says, we'd like you to write something just sort of vague about social media and how it's an issue, and then we're going to use it somewhere. So write it. Maybe that was written weeks ago, months ago. Yeah. And it just sat there. And then it was waiting for somebody to want to include it as a package. I've seen this kind of content in the Globe before, and, and it, it kind of got my spidey sense tingling some time ago. I saw there was this very prominent, like, two-page spread by a bunch of tech writers who I think are good, solid tech writers. And it was this very generic piece about smart TVs. What are they? Yeah. Why are they great? And I'm reading this. 
And nowhere in there is, well, there's really no reason to buy a smart TV in Canada because the apps don't work here. Right. And you're going to get hit with all kinds of overages from Rogers if you actually use HD. None of the stuff that we all talk about in the critical tech journalist community right. about the limitations on technology. So nothing in credible, in other words. Nothing credible. Right. Just a bunch, an overview of smart TVs on the market and smart TV technology. And then surrounding this two-page spread on either side were ads for various smart TV products. And I had to wonder, did these journalists who are not part of this branded content unit at the Globe and Mail know if, in fact, this section only existed because an advertiser paid for it, that that was the case. And, and in I, many cases, those writers, I don't know about Paul, but in many cases, those writers are freelancers. Yeah. Right? So, and that's how the Globe gets around a lot of the stuff that, I mean, this has been happening for, for ages in other sections. So travel, you know, you would, the Globe has a policy where you don't accept free trips, unless you're a freelancer. And that may have changed, I don't know, but, <laughs> but at one time, so you could get away with anything if you were a freelancer. So then it's, uh, that's ridiculous, because it's sure. like, you know, our coverage cannot be bought. Uh, we have travel journalists out there who are giving you objective opinions about what they see and what right. they experience, uh, except if it was a freelancer, in which case all bets are off. And now the responsibility is on the reader to know if well, the right. contributor was no freelance right. or not? They have no idea. Yeah. Um, so it, you can use, let's say those are all freelancers. You tell them, give us a generic piece about smart TVs, and then thanks, here's your check. Yeah. And then you use it later in whatever way you wish, and you describe it in whatever way you wish. There's there's any number of ways to kind of get around what, what you as an editor might feel is your kind of ethical restrictions. But my point is, you know, it's like buying indulgences or something back in the, the yeah. 11th century. It's Sure, it gets you out of whatever the responsibility is, but the ultimate punishment is going to be the same. You're going to lose the trust of your readers, and once you start losing that, advertisers aren't going to want to advertise anymore. They are actually going to be less interested because you were more – because you bent over more for them than if you tried to convince them, look, this is not going to be good. It's not going to be – good for some proportion of readers. They're going to be suspicious or they're going to feel hoodwinked and it's not going to work. Like, so to me, there's two things. It's one not is, compelling Right. One is yeah. the sort of ethical thing and the loss of trust. The other is it just doesn't work. Yeah. It just didn't work. If it had worked, it would have been good content and you would have read it and thought, wow, this is really interesting. I think you are kind of hoodwinking the advertiser, and and it's a weird play when you're if you're if in fact you're hoodwinking the journalist as well. I bring it up because I'm, I've told that this 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 has been happening in the Globe. Whether it's you've got some reporter in Africa and you say, well, we we understand that there's some interesting clean tech happening in this right. village. Right. Go go write about that, right. and then when you sell it as part of a package, and then it gets yeah. sold as part of the package. The journalist doesn't know, so you allow the journalist to keep their hands clean. But how do they feel about being used to generate? Ag- and I think again, you have to. The, all these things have to be done, you know, as openly as possible. It's not, especially if you're trying to convince your journalists that this is kind of a solution to your problems and therefore their problems. Yeah. You, you have to, they have to be on the team. They can't just be, you know, pawns that you move around and don't tell what's going on. They have to buy into this plan or it's not going to work because their content's going to be crap and therefore it's not going to work. Whereas if you take, Say, you know, I know in the auto section, for example, they come up with an idea for a feature series, for example, and then they try and get advertisers interested in sponsoring it. Yeah. So then the idea has emerged, presumably because it's a good idea. Yeah. And then you try and get people interested in sponsoring it, as opposed to going to advertisers and saying, we'd like you to sponsor something. Why don't, 
why don't you come up with a bunch of ideas or, and then we'll get people to write it. And the point about having a separate team is all those people want to be there. Yeah. Right? Those people are going to know what they're getting into when they go and join that team. Well, what they are suggesting is, and, you know, they equivocate and, you know, w- w- people are probably confused by now. Uh, and I think it's confusing and I haven't really been given it. It is confusing. I don't even want to give it the respect. It's like, uh, I, and I don't have any derogatory feelings towards advertising. Advertising is wonderful. It, it, it fuels a lot of great content. Well, you do some, right? And I do some as well. And you do native advertising. Right? I do. Yeah, I do. You talk about the things you use and t- it works because people believe you. You yeah. don't do a special interview feature on Friday. Books and how great it is. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the, it's obvious when you listen to it. I think I'd be about done. You know, I, sure. th- I think if it came out that I was sure. doing, uh, you know, if Audible wanted me to do a, a, an episode every few right. months with an author, you know, uh, right. so, somebody would be very quick to point that out and that would be it for me. And I think the problem, like, I don't know this, but I'm betting the problem with having a team is that advertisers don't want some second or third tier writer they've never heard of who works for some special ad content team. Yeah. They want the, the real reporter. Yeah. They want the quote unquote real journalist because it's their brand that they're basically drafting off of, right? That's why they that's where the credibility comes from. And so then the risk becomes magnified. Then you're taking someone who's developed a reputation for doing quote unquote traditional content and you're kind of trying to get them to do this other thing, but without really saying it, so, because you know they'll probably say no. Yeah. And so, in effect, you're tricking them, and you're tricking the advertiser, and then the, both of you are tricking the reader. So then you've got this sort of compounded problem where no one's really being straight with anyone, and then your content is going to not work. That's the sort of bottom line. Well, and let's not forget, journalists are quick to point out hidden information and hypocrisy and all kinds of secret deals in any industry. But journalism itself is the industry about transparency. The, the, the product, yeah. it, like what we're supposed to be doing is trying to explain the world to people. And if you're reading something where a significant percentage of the newspaper is not there because people made an editorial choice that this is in the public interest or it's newsworthy or it's entertaining, right. Right. but because an advertiser paid for it to be there. Right. You know, what I was trying to say before is advertising is fine. There's advertising and there's editorial. They're trying to blur that line. I mean, I guess advertorial is the classic term, which at least is honest in that it's a blending of the two. Mm-hmm. But when you talk about native content, custom content, branded content, I, I don't want to do them the favor of using this lexicon. It's all weasel words to right. me. It's advertising. Advertising is advertising. You know, the only thing that makes it more complicated now is that the lines have all blurred. There is no kind of neat dividing line anymore the way there was when things were printed. Yeah. You, content just exists in this, in this sea of stuff, you know? So you can notice that piece in the paper because it's on a specific page and it looks a certain way and there's ads around it in a specific way. But removed from the paper, it's just in this vortex of sort of content. Yeah. And so when you come across it by accident somehow or because someone linked to it, there's even less way of telling who came up with it. Where did it come from? Why was it written? Who was the person who wrote it? Why did they write it? Who was involved in them writing it? Why am I even here? Why am I reading this? Yeah. You know, uh, and all of those things combine to sort of make it harder for the media entity producing that stuff makes it even more necessary that you say as much as possible about the thing. What if you said, 
you know, this is a piece that Pricewaterhouse wanted us to do because they're interested in this topic. If you're interested in this topic as well, here's a bunch of stuff you could read and here's yeah. a website you could go to. Well, why wouldn't, like, theoretically, all the same people who would be interested in it when you were trying to fool them into reading it would still be interested in it. Lots yeah. of people are authentically interested in that content, if it's any good. And all the people who would feel tricked and hoodwinked are not going to read it anyway. So tricking them into reading it is your it serves no purpose. You know, I think you're also seeing at the kind of bleeding edge of it, advertisers who are more willing to say, all right, we used to want to have to vet every sentence and make sure that it's all consistent with our brand identity, but no one's going to read it then. Right. If we, it's just going to be a, a page of ad copy. So it's okay. Talk some shit about us if you need to, whatever. Be up, And we don't want for our brand for this to reflect back on us that we were trying to fool anybody. So right. tell everybody right. that we sponsored it and maintain your credibility, which is what we're buying anyhow. Right. And I think smart advertisers have always realized that it's better to to be as upfront as possible and it's better to to have journalists and media companies do what they do. That's the reason you're interested in being associated with their content in the first place. Yeah. So the more you water that down, you're actually cutting off your own nose to spite your face. You're the thing you're buying, you are helping decrease the value of that thing. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, no, it's 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 like um the last thing you do is you strip the copper wiring out of the house and sell right. that. You're like, right. look, the house is making money. Right. This place it's like is- burning the furniture, right? Yeah. So you're warm, but the thing you just burnt, you kind of need that. And so it's easy to kind of go down the – for both advertisers and media entities like the Globe, it's easy to get sort of led down the garden path because you're you're under intense pressure. This stuff is worth a lot of money. Yeah. You th- They want it. You need it. They're doing it anyway. You know, we were talking about advertisers becoming their own media companies. They're just going to bypass you and go write their own media anyway. So yeah. you sort of feel the pressure is intense. But the more you you weaken your own ability, the less you have to sell. And then eventually you've got nothing. You don't have the trust of your readers. You don't have the credibility that advertisers want to buy. Yeah. And you don't have any money. So this is not a sustainable <laughs> strategy, is what you're saying. I would argue not. Yeah. No. What's going to happen at the Globe? Because I, I think that, that this is going to force an immediate confrontation where, wh- however beleaguered their journalists are, if management is going to the union and saying, we want any content creator, I guess that's what a reporter is now, it's what an editorialist or a journalist is, you're a content creator, to have to write upon command, we won't call it advertorial, we'll call it branded content. It's an advertisement. How are you going to go to Stephanie, Stephanie Nolan and say, write ads now? I mean, what's going to happen to Globe journalists? Are they? Is this just a bargaining chip? Is this something that, that management can throw away? Is this a feint in a process? Or is this actually – I just can't see a lot of Globe journalists agreeing to this. Some, wouldn't they leave first? You know, in any kind of union negotiation, it, it's often the case that you present the most extreme possible yeah. situation so that then you can climb down a little bit and everybody can feel like they got a good deal and go home happy. It's possible that they've laid it out in as extreme terms as possible. The problem there is then people get really upset. And, yeah. and if that is, in fact, what you have in mind, you may never be able to go back and say, well, okay, we're not going to do that part. We're not going to do the really scary part. We'll just do the kind of scary parts. And so in a way, it is easier for 
people who don't have a reputation to destroy for the BuzzFeeds or yeah. or whatever. It can almost go the other way because if they build their reputation as a joke, the BuzzFeed right. is, a, is a fun, trivial entertainment that's totally sold out. Right. And then they actually – you know, teach you something about Syria. There's uh, a ton of upside for them. You know, but the, there's nothing but downside yeah. for the globe. Yeah. Right? I remember when the National Post first arrived and the Post was this brand new thing. No reputation. No history. No nothing. It was a clean slate. Yeah. So they could do whatever they wanted. Literally. Yeah. Do stories that seem bizarre, cover things in weird ways because they had the freedom. And that globe was constrained by this hundreds of years of gravitas and reputation and what are people going to think and your readers. And so they were hamstrung, you Mm -hmm. know, and to some extent they still are. As somebody who knows a lot of these journalists who are appalled to learn that management wants them to write editorial copy, you know, and like you say, maybe it's just a feint, but even just to know that your editors want you to do that and to know that they would let you do that changes the culture of an organization. Everybody's got to be looking at an exit strategy right now, don't you think? I would think lots are. I mean, if they weren't before. And to be honest, plenty of them probably should have been before. I mean, that business is imploding. You know, it's it was obvious to me 10 years ago. Um, maybe not 10 years ago, but, you know, it was relatively obvious some time ago. And so if, you were, if you're not thinking about it, if you weren't thinking about it already, then I would think you would have to now. So then the problem becomes who is leaving and who are you replacing them with? And if you're losing committed journalists who got into it because they wanted to write about topics that were serious and you're getting people who are happy writing advertorial, you know, you're making eventually the the tenor and the culture of your organization is going to change and you have to be prepared for that. Or perhaps more importantly, where are those people going? Are they just going to get snapped up by non-Canadian news organizations that will just sort of create, you know, the same paradigm for them? Or might they say, okay, like, we'll try something here. And we'll start to see some experimentation and and proliferation of of news stuff in Canada. We haven't seen much. I would like to see that. I would would love to. I mean, I've thought about it myself. I've and I've looked into trying to do it. It's a very, very difficult game because – to some extent, you still are constrained by the market and the size of the market. And so, you know, you can theoretically appeal to people anywhere. You know, we're, it's a digital age, but you still have to convince advertisers and sponsors and people like that to, to support your investors. Right. And so they need to see, you know, some potential market reach and you know, a lot of that is just question marks. It's literally just question marks. So the strategy for a, a, a journalistic startup in Canada is to appeal to the world and not just constrain it to to Canada itself. Definitely. In fact, I think your approach should be, someone's approach should be, who cares where I am? Like yeah. I could be in Australia. I could be in Iceland. I could be, you know, the things I'm talking about are to some extent universal. Those are the people that are succeeding, I think, regardless yeah, of where they are. You don't want to put Canada in the title to it or anything <laughs> like that. It's probably a very bad idea. That's your Canada Land show. I hope you enjoyed it. You can email me at jesse at jessebrown.ca. Mark it urgent if it's urgent. I read everything I get. I respond when I can. I'm on Twitter at Jesse Brown. The website is canadalandshow.com. I make this show with Christopher DeMello. You can go to audibletrial.com slash CanadaLand for your free audiobook right now. And the next podcast will be up on Monday. If you like this show, recommend it.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.